0: You know, today's message, I think, it really laid on my heart during the week. Because it's a difficult portion of Scripture we're going through. We're going through deception right now. And anyone who has ever had children, as, a, as an illustration to this, if you've ever had children, you know that early on we teach our kids, almost from birth, not to trust strangers. Right? That's like, that's like the rule for parents, like, don't take candy from strangers. But that's a real thing, correct? And it's because it's the world we live in. They, we, we implant this fear and this distrust of people into our children because we know there are monsters in this world, people that would hurt our children. It's a real threat. It's a real thing. They present themselves as good and helpful, and, but truly they're, they're monsters. They're evil. And that's an extreme, but that's a real problem. And every so often, even though we don't see it in front of us, every so often the amber alert on your phone will go off or on the news and it reminds you that there are people that will abduct children. It's evil. And I bring this up because in the same way we teach our children of the flesh to understand that they can't trust everybody, we likewise teach the children in the faith, converts to Christianity, an important lesson early on in their discipleship or in their early in their catechesis. We say things like, Not everyone who says Jesus is Lord is sincere. It's an ugly reality in the church. Not everybody who stands behind the pulpit of God or serves the bread and serves the wine is righteous. There are real monsters out there who wish to destroy your faith, my friends. Real monsters out there who want to tear you down and separate you from Christ. And John, in this portion of his letter, he says, I'm writing to you because of those who wish to deceive you. Means deception is real. It's out there. And it's real people, real faces you can see. And when you get separated because of this, if you fall into deception and you separate yourselves from the living Christ, if you reject the good confession that you've made, there's no hope for you. Outside of confessing the truth that Jesus is the Christ, there is no hope. There's no joy, there's no peace, there's no love, there is no life. And that really leads us to our main point this issue this morning on this thing of deception and this thing of life and death in Jesus, how it all comes together. Our main point simply is this, is that we live or die by our confession. And there's deceivers out there who want to get you to deny the Christ. And you're either an antichrist or you're one of God's anointed children. We're going to explore these themes today in the sermon text. So if you're willing, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. 1 John chapter 2 will be beginning on verse 18. Hear now the words of the living and true God. Children, talking to Christians, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might be plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth, So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him at shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Thanks be to God for his word. Lonnie Blackburn, would you pray for us, please? Amen. Please be seated. In this portion of John's letter, we're dealing with the idea of confession. Normally we think confession means like confessing or telling our sins, but we also mean to profess what we believe, uh, concise statements of biblical truth, Christian doctrine, Also, if you ever study formally, it's called dogmatics or dogma, Christian dogma, the rule and authority of our faith, what we believe. These are foundational realities that define what it means to be Christian. Foundational realities, things that you cannot disagree upon because to do so puts you outside of the faith. And John the Apostle, he opened his letter explaining this to us. He goes, we, in chapter 1, verse 3, he goes, we, the apostles, declare to you the readers, that which what we have seen and heard. And they heard and they saw Jesus. And he says, we're we're telling you this stuff so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. To have a relationship with Christ, my friends, is only possible through the teaching of the apostles. Which means to deny what the apostles have seen, to deny what they've heard, To deny their teachings, which are preserved in the scriptures, the Bible, the Bible is the apostolic witness of the Christ, to reject or deny that is to be, by definition, outside of fellowship with Jesus Christ and God the Father. Simply put, to reject the scriptures rejects the apostles, rejects God Almighty. They were his witnesses. He says the church is built upon Jesus Christ as the cornerstone and upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We believe what we believe because a group of guys saw it and changed the world. Your faith is founded upon the testimony of God's chosen witnesses. And to deny that is to deny the very truth of the Almighty. And John here is telling us of those who fall into this category of denial and lostness. People he calls antichrists. And while we often think of the Antichrist as this apocalyptic figure who's going to dominate the world one day, that's not really what John's going into in this portion of his letter. He's referring to those who are of the same spirit and the same mindset, though. They act that way, but they're not this clandestine figure because Antichrist literally just means to oppose Jesus Christ. And from this passage of Scripture, we see that these figures, these Antichrists, they're not some genius scientists or philosophers who hate Jesus. When we think of Antichrist, we normally think of, like, Richard Dawkins. You know, he hates Jesus a lot. He says a lot of ugly things about Jesus. Now, he is an Antichrist in his own merit, but that's not how John is defining Antichrist here. Here, Antichrists are defined as people who have been baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. People who would greet one another, as we just did. People who would take communion together, as we just did. Friends, neighbors, and family that got together on Sunday morning to worship the living God good and decent people antichrist in John's mind were faithful church attenders but something happened we don't know what but something happened in this congregation something convinced them that they had what they had confessed was a lie they all of a sudden became convinced that what they believed was a bunch of nonsense they denounced the lord jesus and then they left the church Now, friends, if you've experienced something like that in your life, friends, family, children, maybe your pastor, maybe your favorite Christian author, whatever, who you think or thought uh, loved Jesus, acted like they did, said the right things, taught the right things even, did all that Christian-y stuff, and then they walk away from the Lord Jesus Christ isolating themselves from the church and from eternal life itself, you, you, a lot of questions go through your mind. And I know you, you somewhat, you've, we've all experienced something like this. You had that moment. I know right now you're thinking of like, oh yeah, so-and-so used to be Christian or used to go here or something like that. Now we're not talking about leaving the church from problems. We're talking about like denouncing Jesus, saying the Christian faith is stupid and baloney. We're not just talking about like separating because of problems. Church fights happen. I'm not talking about that. But we're talking about a legitimate when someone with a straight face can look at you and say, I was Christian, I believed this, but now, dot, 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 I know better. I no longer believe nonsense like that. And I remember here, when I was at uh, UMKC one time, I was walking to class, and this guy in front of me walking to class also was talking to another guy, and he's going off about how, I used to be Christian, I used to believe this about the age of the earth, and he's going on all this Christian list of stuff, and he goes, And it's so stupid and I can't believe I was in that for like 25 years of my life and blah, blah, blah. And the other kid's like, yeah, man, you really got, you did better. You escaped that. And I'm just like weeping in my heart. Because he thought he was righteous for that long. But he was a liar and we're going to get into that. And if you've experienced people falling away from the faith, you start to ask real questions. Maybe, yes, like were they ever saved? And you begin to wonder maybe even if I'm saved, if they can walk away, what's, what prevents me from walking away? Like it, it hurts the conscience when we see people who really love Jesus, or at least are pretending to, walk away. Especially when it's friends and family and children and neighbors. People that you know. Not just some famous Christian pastor that falls into sexual morality. I mean like someone that with a straight face that you know can look at you, maybe your own kid, and, and they just stop going to church and they say, I don't believe that stuff anymore. It hurts. It it hurts the conscience. It makes us doubt all sorts of questions. And so John the Apostle here is addressing these types of fears, addressing the the questions the remaining Christians would have about all these people that left out from this assembly. He's trying to give them some assurance of their faith that it's going to be okay. You have the truth. And so he gives us some, some pointers on Antichrist. He wants us to understand their mindset. He wants us to know who they are, Again, we're not like on a witch hunt to be like, who's an antichrist in this room? It's not like that. It's more for your benefit to understand where you fit in this picture, what you believe. So he gives us a couple truths about the antichrist. And this plays into our confession, this idea of we live and die by confession. In short, antichrists do not confess Jesus. And this is how they do that. And this is how they come to be that. First off, John says very plainly, those who do not confess Jesus, those who willfully denounce the Lord Jesus, those who leave the church, leaving the faith, he says they were never converted. They were never really Christian. Now, if you've ever watched deconstruction videos, people that get on YouTube and all these platforms because they like, they make themselves feel good, where they'll do their own videography of like, they explain how they, they left the faith and like, oh yeah, you know, and I came to know better. It's like, they will say things like, oh, yeah, I believed all that. It's like, well, John says you, you, you didn't. The worst part is when you think you did. We're not saying people don't mentally acknowledge truth. We're saying it didn't go from here to here. That's kind of where we're at. So they were never converted. Verse 19, John plainly says, those who left, the Antichrist, were not of us. They weren't in apostolic fellowship. They didn't believe this stuff we're talking about. For if they had been of us, if they had had fellowship with God, if they did have the truth, all those things, he says they would have continued with us. They wouldn't just walk away from Jesus if they believed this stuff. But they went out that it might be complained that they were all not of us. So friends, when a person leaves the church, when they leave the faith, not just leaving like this local church, I mean like leaving the body of Christ, when they leave the faith, when they tell you a straight face, this Christian stuff is a joke, there is no sense where they ever believed it. Not according to the apostle. They were never converted. You don't, we don't need to rationalize or try to think of some hypothetical scenario in which they were converted. It's kind of like this. You know when... I always picture I've had met many a grandma when I was a youth minister, when their sons, their grandsons would be like, really naughty or bad or wayward, they'd say, "But he's a good boy deep down." I'm like, "You think that's true, but it's not. You think that, but that's not true. Likewise, if someone walks away from the faith, we don't need to like say, "But I thought they were this." It's like, "No. John says they were not converted. Stand on that reality. It's not like they had the faith and then decided I don't believe it anymore. It's because they just never believed it. To forsake the truth is a symptom of spiritual death. Whatever's on the inside manifests on the outside eventually. And when you have nothing but death in you, the absence of Christ, what else do you expect? In the same way light and darkness can't exist in the same room, That's what happens. And even though they're with us for a long time, people can be in church for a long time not believing this stuff. They can be a long time in here not believing it. But they are never really a member of the body of Christ. Scripture compares the church to a body many times. Paul, favorite, famous. Many of you know this. Paul says the, you know, the church is the body of Christ. He says the body has many parts, but all are in our one body. So is in Christ. You know, we say things like, oh, you know, some people are hands of Jesus. Some people are feet of Jesus. That type of stuff, right? They're actually connected to Jesus. They're actually partaking in Jesus. Those antichrists who stay in the assembly, though, are never part of the body. They're more like a tumor. They may grow in the body, But it's a foreign thing that eventually removes itself. It can't can't coexist because it brings destruction. When we have false converts filling the church pretending to be Christian, eventually it purges itself. They will not stay. They They cannot coexist with the truth. It doesn't work that way. Antichrists are never converted and they will... I would say 99%, they will always leave the Christian fellowship to find like-minded people. They always do. And just to be clear, reiterating, leaving a local assembly because of fighting or problems is not what we're talking about. I mean when someone denounces Jesus and never returns to any fellowship. Does that make sense? That's antichrist. So if we had a church fight and someone left because of, I don't know, some of stupid drapes, whatever, Don't call them an antichrist, okay? They're not denying Jesus. They're just having relational conflict. We're not talking about relational conflict. We're talking about the substance of truth, what it means to, by definition, be Christian. Second thing, first off, they're not converted. They're never really converted, and they're leaving as evidence of that. They do not, they're not saved. Never are, never have been. The apostle says so. Second thing about antichrist, he says they're liars. That's a strong term, but when God calls you a liar, that's a big deal. He says they are liars because they always deny or say things that distort a core reality of Jesus Christ. Always. And, in, and this comes up later in John's letter. Whether it's denying the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, or something like that, or his personhood, all that Trinity stuff, that always will come under attack. Always. The identity of Jesus is always challenged by Antichrist. Always. And that's, that's one of the core things that makes an antichrist an antichrist. They cannot accept the scriptural witness that this Jesus is fully God, fully man, and one person, and the Trinity is real. Those are like the core things that always mess people up. And this will come again later. It's coming again in chapter 4, I believe, of John's letter. Now, other false teachings can be involved, but they are just symptoms of a greater problem. It's a greater problem of not knowing this Jesus, because think about this, and I was trying to explain this, because someone says, well, can an antichrist be someone who just rejects other Christian doctrine, but still believes Jesus is all that stuff? And I was like, I don't think so. And what I mean is this, let's say there's a pastor out there who affirms, let's just use something really common that we can probably agree on, that says homosexual marriage is a good thing, it's a beautiful thing, and abortion is a good and beautiful thing. The reason they're an antichrist is because the Jesus that they worship is not the Jesus of the Bible. It is an idol that they've made for themselves. And the human tendency is to make God like me. So clearly what I think is good and beautiful, my Jesus thinks good and beautiful. And if you've been around in the ministry long enough or counseled other Christians or something, or people that have gone astray, they always will say crazy things like, well, my Jesus, dot, 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 believes this. And I'm like, and you hold the Bible up and say, what are you talking about? That's insane, but it's because they're not in the truth. And so their Jesus is not the Jesus of the apostles. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the Jesus we preach here at Grace Community Church and that any true and faithful witnessing church will. You can't have a moral reality separate from the reality of who Christ is. That's not real. So when you come to crazy moral conclusions that contradict the Bible, it's because you don't understand who Jesus is. But in our text, though, John gets really specific. He's dealing with a class of people that left the assembly saying, Jesus is not the Christ. And that's a really broad idea. But when you're saying something like Jesus is not the Christ, you're saying that he does not fit the biblical qualifications to be the Savior. For instance, how many of you have ever heard someone say, I like Jesus, or they talk good about Jesus, but they'll say things like, he was just a good teacher. That is denying Jesus is the Christ. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. You can't just say he's a good teacher. He's either the Lord and Savior and Redeemer and King, or he's just a nice guru. If that's you, then I, my friend, you are not understanding who this Jesus is today. And we want to invite you as a church to know who this Christ is, that he is the living God, come as a man to die for your sins. But that was happening in this church And John tells us, like they were leaving, saying, who is the liar but him who denies that Jesus is the Christ? When they say stuff like that, they are actively participating in a lie. And no liar has any portion in the eternal kingdom. John tells us that in the Revelation. For the lake of fire is reserved for liars, murderers, adulterers, thieves, and so on and so on. And think about this. I had to think of an illustration. Which one of you if we're talking about distorting this image of Christ, if we're, we're confusing who this Jesus is, which one of you would be comfortable picking up a Bible and ripping pages out saying, I know what true scripture is? Well, Jesus is the word. He's the logos of God. He's the word of God. So when you distort his image, it's no different than you were to rip pages out of the Bible. And when you distort the Jesus of the Bible, you're distorting scripture itself and it's no different than changing God's word. And that's a dangerous place to be because when you distort the image of Jesus, who he is and what he's done, you are alienating yourself from salvation. God warns us, if you change my word, and that's by an extension changing Jesus, who is the word, it's the same thing. You are alienating yourself from salvation. You are lying. And that's what antichrists are. They are liars about Jesus. And there's a lot of them in this world, y'all. A lot of them. Every Easter, Time Magazine and those stuff at the grocery store of like, who is the real Jesus? You know, like you see that type of nonsense, right? Or like, uh, the History Channel is like, who was the real Jesus of Nazareth? It's like, it Jesus in the Bible. What are you talking about? How is there different Jesuses? That's the crazy we're talking about. When Jesus exists separate from the scriptures, you're lying. You're lying. And those who do that alienate themselves from the truth which is our third point about Antichrist. First, they're not converted. Second, they're liars. And third, the ultimate conclusion about Antichrist is that they are separate from God. In the very plainness of words, John tells us in verse 23, he says, No one who denies the Son, the fullness of who this Jesus is, has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Simply put, the only way to God is through Jesus. Think of all the statements Jesus makes, like I am the door, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the rest. All those I am statements of Jesus, the same apostle that wrote John's gospel, is he's piggybacking on his same ideas. There is no relationship with the Almighty separate from his son. And we as Christians stand on that. That's like normal in our church. But when you think about how many world religions there are, think about our Jewish friends. Our Islamic friends, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, you know, so on and so on and so on that talk about God like they like their best buddies, but then the Jesus they present is either a false prophet or not the Jesus of scriptures or not the Jesus of orthodoxy. They are antichrists. By definition, they are antichrists. And it's tragic because they think they have the father, but they don't. And their denial of the Christ is evidence of it. It should break our hearts every time a Jehovah's Witness knocks on our door. It should break our hearts when the Mormons come knocking because they're so convinced. So think about it. What convinces them to go door to door and do evangelism? Air quotes evangelism because it's not real evangelism. It's not testifying to the real gospel, but they are so convinced about it that they are willing to look stupid to go and tell people about, hi, Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, man, and I have the truth. And these guys don't. And yet they are convinced to do that. It's tragic. So you either have the son and have the father or you don't. But to you, to you who have confessed the Christ, who have confessed the son, you do have the father. We're moving from what it means to be an antichrist now to what it means to be God's anointed child. And because you have the Father and the Son, you also have the Holy Spirit, who John refers to as the anointing. Anointing normally refers to like when we pour sacred oils on stuff. It's supposed to be symbolic of the Spirit. He's using that language to describe like the Spirit was poured out on you. You've received the Spirit of God. Verse 27, he says, The anointing, the Spirit... Which you have received from him remains in you. It doesn't go away. And you do not need anyone to teach you. For as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is the truth, and is no lie, and just as it, the Spirit, has taught you, remain in him. And th- guys, this is a consistent truth claim across the scriptures. The Spirit of God teaches individual Christians to keep them in the truth. The Spirit convinces you personally that what you're hearing is not false or made up or of man. The Spirit is the one that convinces you of the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.12, a couple of related verses on this, he goes, we, the church, Christians, have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God so that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. And this is no different than what Jesus told the disciples. John 16, 13, he says, When the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but the Spirit will speak whatever he hears, and he will tell you things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will receive from me and will declare it to you. Church, the Holy Spirit of God... Our teacher has been given to us by God to keep you and me from error. And the greatest error is denying that Jesus is the Christ, the chosen one, the king of the cosmos, the redeemer, savior, all the different titles we can think about this Jesus. The spirit is the one who convinces you through the scriptures, through the apostolic witness. And so if you have confessed the Jesus, if you've confessed the Christ, If you understand what we're talking about, you have this anointing. You have the Holy Spirit. You're not just going to drift from the truth all willy-nilly like. You're grounded in reality. God is real. His Son is real. This, what we're doing here, is, is real. It's only those who drift away do so because they have not received the anointing. So what you believe about this Jesus matters. Because eternal life is at stake, my friends. As we said earlier, we live and die by our confession of the Christ. You are either Antichrist and alienated from God, or you are anointed by the Spirit and accepted in the Beloved. There's only two paths. You know, the Scripture has binary choices predominantly. There's only two. So John tells us in verse 24 of this portion of this letter, he goes, Let that which you've heard from the beginning the testimony of the Son of God, that this Jesus is God come as a man. He is the Christ. He is the chosen one. He died for sins. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again, and he's ascended up to the Father in heaven, where he rules and reigns, waiting to come back to judge the living and the dead. Let that Christian confession remain in you, and the Spirit convinces you of it. He says, Let that which you heard from the beginning remain in you. And if that which you've heard from the beginning does remain in you, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. So, what you think about this Jesus matters. It matters. And eternal life is at stake. And so, now we come to like the big question, right? The million dollar question. How do I know if I'm an antichrist? Because these people, I assume, as they're doing church life with, remember, they're they meeting the apostle to the face. The guy that did miracles. The guy that knows Jesus personally. And they're looking at him in the face and going, you are a liar, John. Jesus isn't the Christ. And they would leave the assembly. But for how long were they there? You know, like how long were they convinced of the lies of their own heart? How can I know I'm an antichrist? Because did they know? Did they not know? Like those are real questions. How do I know if I'm in the faith? And when we see people leave the church that we respect, people that do what I'm doing now, or if you're a Sunday school teacher and they leave, and we go like, well, they can fall away. Where does that leave me? I'm not a strong Christian. And so John's like, no, no, you have the anointing, you have the truth. So let's go through some of the basic Christian propositions of truth of what it means that Jesus is the Christ. And this is really important because the early church, if you know anything about the history of the church, what we call the great tradition, the three creeds and seven councils, they fought a lot on the identity of Jesus. That's like the thing. They fought over the Trinity. Like the biggest debates in the early church are things like the Trinity and the identity of the Christ. How do I explain to all these naysayers that this Jesus that we worship, remember, if Jesus isn't God, we're committing idolatry. How are we sure that this Jesus, from the Bible, because they had the Bible also, right, and they had the witness of the apostles, how do we then articulate the faith that this Jesus is fully God, he's fully man, and he's not confused, he's not just a man, but he was a man, but he's, and he, he's always going to be God, even though he's stuck in a man body, like, Real fights. Like they debated this stuff out. And that's why the early church, the greatest treasure the early writings of the Christian church gave us are basically spiritual litmus tests that we still apply today. And what I mean is this when they defined the Trinity, because they believed in it, but when they articulate it in words or they articulate Jesus through these creeds, like if you've been in church long enough, you've probably said like the Apostles' Creed or like the Nicene Creed, stuff like that. They fought really hard to make sure, like, this is the faith. And if you are outside of these statements, they would say, You are not Christian. You, are, you're, you haven't really believed yet because you're not accepting this is the basic truth of the Bible. And I want to, before we read it, we're going to read one of the early cre- uh, definitions of Jesus together. It's a little lengthy, but this was written about the 450s. It's on the back of your uh, handout. That means in 451 AD in the Roman Empire, they duked it out on what it means that Jesus is who he says he is. Like, all these questions have been answered for us on how do we explain Jesus. But I also want a small caveat about not believing and being out of the club. There is a fine line between ignorance and rejection of Christian doctrine. Because think about this. When you got saved, did you understand the Trinity? When you got saved were you able to articulate something like this? And it's like, of course not. Nobody can, right? Nobody would. So again, it's not that ignorance of explaining the Trinity or explaining Jesus as the Christ. That that doesn't keep you from salvation. It's willfully despising it. So for instance, if someone came up to us in this church, I'm sure I I don't mean to speak for Pastor Elvin or any of the elders, but I I guarantee they would agree with me on this. If someone came up and said, Pastor Adam or Pastor Elvin or any elders, like, I need to be baptized. I fall in love with Jesus. But the Trinity is baloney. Will you still baptize me? The answer clearly is going to be no. Let's talk about that. Why do you not love the Trinity? Why is that an issue for you? But like, again, the line's already been drawn for us. We're just riding on the shoulders of the early church that already defined these things. So let's read, how did the early church define Jesus? This is 451 A.D., long time ago. It's in the Roman Empire. It's on the back of your handout. It's not going to be on the screen. I'll read it to you, but there are, there are many, many statements like this the early church wrote to articulate and explain Jesus because the biggest, earliest fights are the same heresies that exist today. So when someone says Jesus is just a man, like Jehovah's Witnesses, they are latching on to the same heresy that was in the 200s like these things have already been talked about so we'll read it we'll move forward if you've never read the chalcedonian definition it's super wordy but this is how the early christians are articulating and explaining what it means that jesus is the christ so i'm going to read it out loud and then we'll move on so this is 451 ad people were still smart back then It says, we, remember, this is a council of dudes across the Roman Empire, a bunch of bishops and pastors get together, and they say, there's a whole bunch of nonsense being taught. We have to articulate what we mean when we say about this Jesus. And so they got together, and over a course of time, they all, hundreds of dudes agreed to this statement. And that became like the standard in the Roman churches. It says, we then, following the Holy Fathers, like the people that came before us, including the apostles, all with one consent, so again, they're agreeing to this, Teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable or rational soul and body, consubstantial or coessential with the Father according to the Godhead, and consubstantial with us according to manhood, and all things like unto us without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, And in these later days, for us and for our salvation, was born of the Virgin Mary, and they go on. And they're basically taking the Bible truth schisms and they're putting them together. And they would say things like, if you can't agree to this willfully, not out of ignorance, because nobody knows this stuff when they get saved, right? But if you willfully say, this is nonsense, after you've been taught the facts and stuff, they would say, you are outside of salvation and we still do the same things to this day. But again, our goal is not to drive people out, it's to get them to be aware of what they believe about Jesus. Because is the Jesus you're believing in the Jesus of the apostles, the Jesus of the Bible? That's what's at stake here. And John says, if you don't understand that this Jesus is the Christ, you do not have eternal life. And so again, it's not so much about memorizing definitions written 1,600 years ago. It's about accepting the basic witness of the Christian church, the Christian doctrine. We confess and believe Jesus is fully God, fully man in one person, all that stuff. Antichrists do not. They cannot. It does not make sense to them. And they willfully oppose it. And so as we're coming to a close today, is the Jesus, the question we want to ask ourselves, is the Jesus of your heart, the Jesus you see in your imagination when you pray, the Jesus that you say speaks to you, is it the Jesus of the apostles, or is it the Jesus that you've made for yourself? And John's little letter here ends with a simple verse. He says, stay away from idols. Are you worshiping an idol of Jesus, or are you worshiping the living Christ? Eternal life is at stake. And it was a good conscience. You could say, Adam, I can't explain those things. I can't articulate it like those guys did hundreds of years ago, but I know that I know the anointing the spirit in me confesses that somehow Jesus is God and he's paid for my sins. And like, I know that. Brother or sister, you have eternal life and you are, you are righteous with God. If you cannot, I beg you, open your heart to the scriptures of who this Jesus is. Let us introduce you to this Jesus. And a lot was said today, but eternal life's at stake because we live and die by our confession of who this Jesus is. And the Jesus of our imaginations is not sufficient to save you. Only the Jesus of the word, the king of the universe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, if there's anything I said that was muddling or confusing, I, I pray you just make it super clear that what's at stake is eternal life and our understanding of who you are, that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. As Peter made the good confession When you asked him, who do men say I am? And he said, you are the son of the living God. I pray that you would write that good confession on our hearts. Help us trust that you are who you say you are, Jesus. Send your spirit, convince us of these things. Don't let us go astray. Don't let us think, and don't let us think we believe the truth if we really don't. If there's somebody in this assembly this morning who in good conscience right now in the depths of their heart can say, I don't really believe Jesus is fully God and fully man and stuff like that. He's not really who he says he is, but I'm scared to admit that. I pray that you'd give them the courage to confess that so we can love them and introduce them to the Jesus of the Bible. And thank you, Lord, you don't condemn us for our ignorance and inability to articulate truth. You condemn us for what we do when we do know it because we condemn ourselves by rejecting your son. Work salvation this morning. For your glory and namesake, we pray. God's people said,